Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello again, church. We've got, um, got some really heavy stuff to talk about today, but it's, it's important because it's all in a pattern. If you go back through and look at the sermons for the last six, seven months, you'll see a, an unfolding, and that continues. Uh, they're written, sermons are already written right now through May the 14th, and they will continue to follow that arc because that way we can plan <laughs> where we're going. And if I remember to use the notes, that would be even better. But that said, before I get into this, tomorrow, uh, if you're watching this on, on the Sunday, whether as your only worship or as an add-on to your church, um, the next day on Monday, I'll be in Knoxville and you can go online to our website or any of our socials and see exactly where that's going to be. It's in the Turkey Creek region of Knoxville, which is where Everything grew a few years ago. I'm going to be visiting with anybody who comes to that hotel um, from 6 to 8-ish is what we say. Uh, that's a true by Hilton hotel. And then on, on Tuesday, I'll be doing the same in Chattanooga at the true by Hilton in Hamilton Place. So if you're in those regions, within an hour's drive of those regions, hey, I'm driving three hours to get there. So I'd, I'd love to get to visit with you and, and answer any of your questions, let you know how we're doing. I found out one of our local team is going to be there tomorrow night in Knoxville. And that's really cool because uh, he's got a foot in two places. And that's our brother Ray will be with us. And it'll be neat. Be a good time. This lesson was a hard one to write. For some of you, you might be very shocked and even have some disbelief at what is taught by a very large percentage of Protestant churches. Uh, others will hear this lesson and they'll remember that it was taught and it will bring back hurt and some bad memories and a, a lot of questions about God and God's love and does God have love and where does his grace go? Theology has consequences. And if you have bad theology, eventually you paint yourself into a corner that the only way out is to, to develop another belief that is even worse. And sometimes you can get wrapped into these things so much that as the Bible says, you can wrestle with scripture to your own damnation. Now normally in one of these lessons, in fact, it's an our safe harbor thing. We don't attack people and we don't attack churches. We're not attacking people or churches now. But what we are is saying there's a doctrine that needs to be mentioned. And we can't do all of, we can't do it justice today because there are a lot of sections to it. But there are doctrines that need to be mentioned and need to be discarded. A great many Protestant denominations have, as their official doctrine, an attestation that Jesus did not die for everyone. And that's a shocker. Because when I ask people, did Jesus die for you? Almost every Christian says, yes. However, their church would say, no. Their church would say 
that the great bulk of humanity, the vast majority of humanity, was not chosen by God for salvation. And Jesus did not die for them. And that, yes, before they were born, God had already determined that they were going to spend eternity, trillions and trillions of years, burning consciously in hell before they were even born. And God dis decided that. It is, they don't even have that kind of slightly moderating grace of annihilation. Limited atonement is what that name of this doctrine is. And it is one of the five foundations of Calvinism. And Calvinism is the base um, theological system of a whole lot of Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, obviously, for a reason I'll talk about in a bit. And anything that says reformed on it comes from that system. And then there are a lot of no-name churches that, uh, you know, they're like us, that, that are not name brand. And if you go to them, you might find grace. And then if you push them, they may tell you, well, it's not grace for everybody. It's just for those Jesus died for. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. While I was working on my sermons for Palm Sunday and Easter, Christian Twitter and, and others were, were pushing their, you know, their Lenten ideas and their Easter ideas. And one of them, uh, an article that I get from time to time, I'm, I'm sorry, an article from a magazine that I get from time to time online, they push it, I, I didn't subscribe, but I'll read it. It's well read all over. It's called The Christian Post, and you can find it easily if you look it up. Just summarized, limited atonement. Did Jesus die for all? No, and that's good news. Now, I want you to think about what kind of mind would it take to say that? And these are not evil people, but their doctrine has blinded them to what they're actually saying and the consequences of what they're actually saying. I'm about to read a summation from that article, but it's not just from that article. I've seen it in uh, Calvin's Institutes for Christian Religion. I've seen it in many theological, you know, systematic theological tomes. I'm going to read it, but I got to say, re even reading it breaks my heart. It takes away hope from billions of people. It causes doubts in the hearts of millions of others. It also creates an attitude in those convinced of this doctrine that smacks of Jesus likes me better than you. And Jesus likes us best. It's as if everybody missed the whole point of Jesus pointing over to the Pharisee when the Pharisee prayed. And the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I was not made like these people. Because you can hear prayers and articles like that one, written by a megachurch pastor in the States, that absolutely say, thank you, God, that you did not make me like all these others. The vast majority of those, those people. Here it is. This is a quote. Did Jesus die for the sins of the people who are suffering in hell right now? The Bible's answer is clearly no. When Jesus dies for a sinner, the wrath of God against him is satisfied. There is no more wrath left. It was poured out on Christ once for all. 
The saints will live with Christ forever because Christ died for their, that's capitalized, sins. But the rest of humanity will suffer forever because Christ did not die for their sins. In other words, it's what Christ did for us on the cross, not what we choose to do with the cross, that reconciles us to God. End of quote. Did you hear it? It is horrific. And the whole beat of this article was hugely upbeat. Aren't we great to serve such a great God? No, wait a minute. I've actually walked in countries where Calvinism killed Christianity. I can remember in the 80s walking the streets of Scotland and dearly beloved police to me, obviously. Um, and when telling people that I was a Christian, they would, they would go, one of the first things they would talk about wasn't hell. Hell was number two. How could a loving God do that? The number one was, well, if I'm going, I'm going. And if I'm not, I'm not. And there's not a thing I can do about it. That was decided before I was born. And no wonder the attendance in churches uh, Christian churches is less than 7% on a Sunday in that entire nation. I've had people ask me, and I don't know what the answer to the question is, but I've had people ask me many times that came across to Scotland and visit, why does everybody look down when they walk? And, you know, and I, I probably threw off something about, well, there are dogs being walked or something, but in my heart, I've always wondered, did it have something to do with Calvinism? Because Calvinism strips all the beauty out of religion. It takes away all of the color, takes away the stained glass, takes away the joy. It, it made the Puritans look a bit flirtatious. It was, and, and then said, well, you know, it, it's not up to you. It's up to what Christ did on the cross. It is not what you choose to do with the cross. And so what's the point? My wife and I, We'll listen to music as we're driving along if we're not listening to podcasts. And we often listen to an, a Scottish group, uh, a great group of years past called Silly Wizard. And they have a, um, a song called The Parish of Dunkeld. And I would love to sing that for you. And I actually can sing that one. But we'd also have to have a translator because it's entirely in Scots. And it's just, uh, and we both sing it with gusto because it talks about had we had church meetings that were more like social meetings and not in the hard pews with the joy stripped out, all Scotland would come. And it's, it's very, very true. In other words, according to Calvinism, this is out of your hands. Whether you go to heaven, whether you go to hell, completely out of your hands. It's completely out of your hands whether you're going to have joy in this life or not. It's completely out of your hands. What happens to you, the, all of this was decided long before you were born. R.C. Sproul famously said, if there is one Adam in the vast expanse of the universe that is not under direct control of the Almighty, then we can be certain of nothing. Which shows that while R.C. Sproul did a lot of good and was a loving man, as far as I can tell, loving person to his churches and his family, he had no understanding of the concept of how to make a sentence philosophically valid. Because you don't have to go from one molecule to no molecule, there's a lot of room in here. There's a lot of room for God to work within here. But that also makes God responsible for every murder, every rape, every theft, every divorce, every abuse. 
because he's in charge and he declared it beforehand. I think that's getting close to blasphemy. But I won't rebuke them because I don't have that power. Only God can do that. This is what is called irresistible grace. If God wants you to go to heaven, you're going, you can't resist it. If he doesn't, well, the people in hell are there for a reason. Yeah, that is said. I have heard it many times. It's a circular argument, laced with errors, such as circular argument, begging the question, totalitism, uh, totality, I can't even say now, totology, there it is, look it up, scholasticism, and it's heartbreaking. Its champions in this country, America, are John MacArthur and John Piper. So many Christians I know just love to read John Piper, and I'm going, do you understand the underlying what's coming here? Do you see what is being said? And these guys can make this doctrine sound pretty and sweet, and they even find a whole bunch of other verses to back them up, because you can. You can. If you're not looking at the Bible as a gestalt, the whole, but you're, you're running and finding the verses that go with what you think, that's called scholasticism. If you don't know, John Calvin was a French scholar uh, who broke from the Roman Catholic Church in 1530. He fled from France to Switzerland um, because Switzerland was safe for people who would break with the, the Catholic Church. And he wrote his doctrines down at great length. And they form a series of books called the Institutes for Christ, of Christian Religion. They, uh, there are a lot of good stuff in there. There really is. But there are also a lot of places where he went down the wrong road. And when it looked troublesome, he just accelerated. That's a human tendency. That's not just John Calvin. That's Patrick. We all tend to do that. If we don't have a community holding us back and saying, wait a minute. Uh, wh what does this do to the reputation of God? And what does this do to everything else? Uh, one of his greatest apostles was a Scotsman named John Knox, who took it to Scotland. And there were actually wars in Europe over this. John Calvin killed people, had them executed for not agreeing with him. And in Scotland, John Knox made sure they did the same. So when you go into a church, if you happen to, you most likely you'll be a tourist. But when you go in and you'll see the military banners hanging up there, uh, a lot of that was due to the wars between the religions. And here, here's our team. It's not what God wants. I think of Alexander Campbell, who after being shipwrecked on, in Scotland, he was from Northern Ireland, shipwrecked, and then he was in Scotland going to university, and he was they were going to have a big communion day. And he was of the right church. He was the anti-light, uh, burger, anti-seceder sect of the Presbyterian church. So he got to take communion. And you had to have a token for it. Uh, to prove that you had been questioned and that your doctrines were correct. And as they sat there waiting to take, he looked around and saw people crying. Because they were not pure enough to be admitted to the Lord's Supper. They would not get to participate in this. And when the plate came to him, young Alec dropped his token in the plate and walked out. And it is said that the American Restoration Movement, more commonly known to historians as the Stone Campbell Movement, began with the sound of that token hitting the plate, saying, no, we, we're walking away from this. 
Why, how can you deny these people? Well, the religion says, well, God did. Because if God had reached them, they'd already be here. But obviously, he didn't die for them. There were people who stood up against this. And that, of course, launched wars between the Protestants. Um, Luther and Zwingli, I mean, they, they agreed on so much stuff. And yet, they both agreed with armed men attacking the other. And it's just, it's breaking, broken heart. Anyway, one of the guys that stood up against this was named Jacobus, looks like Jacobus, Jacobus Arminius. He published five points of protest against Calvin's five points of foundation. He made a very simple claim, quote, Jesus died for all people and for every person. So he has obtained for them all by his death on the cross, redemption and the forgiveness of sins. No one actually enjoys this forgiveness except the believer. Most of you are Arminian and did not even know it. Because most of you believe Jesus did die for all people. But only those people who obey Christ will be forgiven. After the last few sermons, you might be questioning some things, but hang on. The Calvinists quickly responded by forming a synod at Dordrecht in the Netherlands. And they issued five rebuttals. They liked fives. Both sides, now commonly called the five points of Calvinism. I, um, if you don't know them, you, you memorize them by using the word tulip because um, you know, that'll, that'll help you get through them. I don't care for them much and make sure I get them in the right order. Uh, I've got them here somewhere with Snoopy hung on them because that was the thing I had. Well, I did. Maybe it fell away. You see, there's total depravity, um, unconditional you know, and then there's a limited atonement. I, it's, I'm going to find it. Snoopy did. He, there he is. Snoopy. Bad dog. Total depravity. Unconditional um, election. In other words, if God chooses you, not a thing you can do about it. And if he doesn't, not a thing you can do about it. Limited atonement. Jesus only died for the ones he wants to save. Or as John Piper put it, Jesus had the names of those he was dying for in his head as he walked to the cross. Irresistible grace, you can't resist him. Perseverance of the saints, that's what's normally called once saved, always saved. Because God chose you, there can be no unchoosing. So put those all together, it's called tulip. Uh, one of the objections went like this. If Christ's death on the cross, see what theology will do to you, obtained forgiveness of sins for all people, then how is anyone in hell right now suffering for their sins? Well... Maybe you should look at an underlying assumption about hell and about salvation and about grace, but that never seems to occur. The Arminians had an answer. They didn't have, they didn't think about that either. They says that gives us two possibilities. Either no one goes to hell or the cross did not actually obtain salvation for everyone. It only obtained the possibility of salvation. All right, your two options, no one goes to hell or the only ones who go to hell are those that Jesus did die for, but they rejected him. So we're going to choose that one. And I'm going, why wouldn't you choose this one? That God's grace covers all. There's as much evidence, if not more, this one than this one. So guys, I'm not an Armenian, even though everybody thinks I am, because I tell people, you can decide to be a Christian. They think, well, then you're an Armenian. No, because I'm also saying, and if you don't, God still loves you, 
As Jesus said, the Father gives gifts upon the just and the unjust. And in fact, you remember that whole thing about these people worked their 12 hours? These were hired right as they were clocking off, and they all got the same reward. And people were going, well, that's not fair. It is if God's God, and if God is love. Oh, well. To those who've listened over the last few weeks, you might have noticed they never even considered the other option, a re-examination of their doctrines of hell, uh, salvation, a good look at the love of God. I am not Arminian, and I am not Calvinist. I'm just a Christian who believes that God is love and takes Jesus at his word, that that's what he'd come to do, was to save the world. Well, Calvinists counter by saying when Jesus went up on the cross, he knew who he was dying for and knew who he wasn't. Um, As they will quote this passage in John 10, uh, verses 15, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 27. But John 10, they quote a lot of that. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now here's the jump that they make. Jesus says, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Oh, only the ones that are his known and chosen. What they don't remember is that Jesus said, and I have sheep in other pastures that you don't know about and he was talking to the Jews the only chosen people of God at the time so just because you know this group doesn't mean other people aren't his sheep well John 6 um, oh let me just make sure I stay with my notes enough to where I get that all right are you one of God's sheep I'm just going to ask you are you one of God's sheep Sheep. If, if you say, yes, because I've accepted Christ and I live for him, I'm baptized, they say, well, that meant you were one of the chosen. Does anybody see the circle here? I saw circles in arguments early on, and that got me in so much trouble. I can remember once on a university trip where we went to see a point of geologic interest. And I know it was a point of geologic interest because there was a sign on the highway that said point of geologic interest. So we pulled off, and the teacher was up there and explaining all the different layers and such, and, and I understand layers and the laid down and the like, and, but he, he held up a picture of a fossil, and he said, now, we found this fossil, and it dates, I forget, I really forget the number, but I'm just going to say 12 million years ago, and I asked, well, how do you date that fossil? Because you know, I know it wasn't radiometric, you can't do that with fossils, don't know if you know that. You can only do radiocarbon, radiometric dating. Um, uh, well, I mean, carbon's even worse. It had to be living. The radiometric stuff, it had to have been melted. It had to be igneous rock that melted and then hardened again. So, sorry, that was just an extra. Not on the notes. Look at that. Um, and he's, I said, how do you know it's 12 million? And he said, well, we found it in this layer of rock. And so, you know what my next question is? How did you date the layer of rock? And he says, well, we find these fossils in it. Now, I later learned that there were good arguments, but that wasn't one, all right? Those other things, you know, this is supposed to be smart people you're talking to, that this is a problem, and oh, are you saved? Well, then you must have been one of the chosen. Well, what if you're not saved? Ah, I guess you weren't. That's a circular argument. Look at uh, John 6, 39, 
I'm going to start at John 6, 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is their money verse. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. They read this to teach that Jesus clearly says, only those given to Jesus will be saved. And they never consider the passages where he keeps saying, God, for God so loved the world, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. They ignore all of those passages. Why? Because they never, never crossed their mind to think that there was another path, hell or salvation and love of God. And they didn't realize the love of God's going to come over here too. They never looked at it. They never assumed it. They never saw it. Calvinists think that they have a, a gotcha Verse in Ephesians 1, verse 4, because it, it, if you look at it, it says, the Father chose the elect before the foundation of the wor- world. Well, if they're already chosen, then you know, they can't be unchosen. Wait a minute. If you read Ephesians 1, verse 4, literally, that means Jesus' death did nothing because they were already chosen before the foundation of the world, before his death. Why a death? His death changed absolutely nothing. It's rather like, and I'm going to run this for you, and I'm not terribly sorry because you've had some time. If you watch the movie Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, I want you to notice that nothing Indy does in the movie changes anything. No movement, no history, no knife at nothing. Everything proceeds as if there is no Indy. He just gets to ride along while the story works around him, which is a bit of brilliant work, mind you. But a lot of you are going to look that up later, aren't you? Go ahead. If you read the rest of Ephesians 1, you're going to find that the cross, Jesus did some things on the cross. He accomplished things on the cross. He didn't validate a decision already being made before there was a world. But we're going to get to that in the next couple of weeks. When we talk about, well, what did Jesus do on the cross? What, what does atonement mean? And here is a casual cruelty tossed out there when you ask the question, well, doesn't that kill evangelism? I'll tell you in Scotland it did. And in a lot of other places it has. Their answer is not at all. And they are technically right here. This is a quote. We don't tell people Jesus died for you. We merely tell them the gospel. If they receive it, they are one of those chosen by God. That's almost flippant about, what about these people? What about, what about these people? What about people who have never heard the name of Jesus? Why wouldn't you just stand up on a Sunday or do a tent meeting in town and say, Jesus died for some of you, we don't know who they are. Most of you were already determined to go to hell and there's nothing you can do about it, but here's a nice story. It's, it's appalling. In science, by the way, we know that if we solve a problem and by doing so cause other problems, we probably didn't solve the problem. And we've seen a lot of that in recent years with COVID responses, non-responses, and bad responses and good responses. Where, all right, we've solved this. Oh, no, we didn't. And now we've got to do this. Well, medicine, by the way, doesn't follow the same rules as science. 
Medicine is an art that is science-informed. In fact, there's a whole branch of medicine called uh, evidence-based medicine or science-based medicine. So, yeah, they're going to get the drugs wrong sometimes because as each individual is different, they're going to react differently. So we're talking here more pure science like mathematics, chemistry, and the like. If you, uh, that's why, by the way, we say two plus two equals four. Here are the side effects. But in medicine, we always put here are the side effects. See, science is a little different uh, than pure medical treatment. That said, I want you to look at first, um, first John 2 and verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, as our sister read for us, that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And notice it says that they should live for him. It doesn't say that they have no choice but to saying he died for all, they should live for him. When shown these passages, John MacArthur dismissed them and quote, if he actually died for everyone in the world, everyone goes to heaven because that's an actual atonement. But since we know that's not true because there is a hell and many are headed to hell, we know that he didn't actually die for everyone, end of quote. So Paul got it completely wrong, evidently. I run out of things to say. This is depressing. And yes, with me, it's a bit more personal because I've seen entire cultures destroyed by this. And yet, Reformed theology is one of the only growing areas in America churches for young couples and young families. I don't understand that, but it's there. By the way, Jesus didn't just die to forgive your sins, though he did forgive your sins. The scripture said he died to taste death and to remove it from us. Hebrews 2.9, but we do see Jesus who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous and the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, and then we're going to skip down to, uh, to verse, chapter 2, verse 4. This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of, now listen to the phrase, who is the savior of all people and especially those who believe. I don't understand how somebody can be a Calvinist when this is in scripture. That next one, this is good and pleases God our savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is, in, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when I was a boy, 
we thought the word should was our get out of everybody going to heaven card. Because we said they should, but they won't. Then the NIV came along and said, for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. And my tribe went nuts going, look at this, they're changing the Bible. Actually, they're not. The word shall and should, as used properly, is an imperative, which means it, it won't, you know, this will happen and that won't. For example, thou shalt not murder in the Ten Commandments doesn't mean don't murder. It means you will not. That is never an option for you. And so the shall and the should and the will in modern English, yeah, it's what it says. And then Revelation 22, 7. The canon of scripture closes with that beautiful scene. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. So not only is he saying it to you, you can say it to others. I'll do that again. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. One of the things you may have noticed as we wrap this up, close it, close it down, um, is that our safe harbor doesn't say, if you believe these things, then you can be a member here. There, there are reasons we do that. We want our, our doors to be open. We want our hearts to be open, open to every single one of you. But there's another reason there. It is, did you ever play a game when you were a kid called something like Red Rover, Red Rover, right? Where you would form lines and hold, and there's an opposing line. And this line would chant for somebody to be sent to run through. And if they don't break through, right, then they have to join the line, right? It's a casual violence, um, but we enjoyed that. It was fun. Back in those days, we had asphalt under the monkey bars because we figured not everybody's going to make it. Let's just weed them out, you know, as we go. Uh, we had that spinning thing and asphalt around it as well. That one, that was sinful. Anyway, too many Christians will say, we want you to come to Christ and hear are the barriers you're going to have to leap over. We're not going to call them barriers. We're not going to call them weeding out the weak. What we're going to call them is our statement of faith. Or we'll call it a church covenant. Or we'll try, but So come to Jesus if you do what we say here. No, we're not going to do that. Jesus says come. If he wants to sort you one side or the other, that's entirely up to him. He gave us no permission to do so. So when I look at the cross... I don't wonder if it's about me. I don't wonder if it's about you. When I see documentaries of little kids in the Middle East that will never hear the name of Jesus, tribes in Mongolia and all up in the Kyrgyzstan and the like, I, I don't wonder did Jesus die for them. I know he did. Because that cross, we can cherish that cross. We can greet Easter with joy, not just for us, but for everyone. For as one tasted death, the scripture says that all will be made alive in Christ.